This episode with Richard Law, Angel Investor and Ben Davies, founder of Viper, was recorded back in February in the pre-COVID crisis world. Their story of finding and managing the angel founder relationship will be even more valuable when we come out of lockdown as you start to recultivate those relationships. So have a listen. If you are interested in COVID crisis advice as a startup or as an angel, check out episode 76 with Jenny Tooth, OBE, CEO of UK Business Angels, and she covers that topic in detail for you. I'm Patricia Keating. Week to week, we use this podcast to delve into the challenges that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. This is Fast Forward. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Old friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Welcome to the Fast Forward podcast. Now, one of the most frequent asked questions we get at Tech Manchester is, how do we access startup funding? So for the entire month of April, we are buddying up with our friends at the UK Business Angels Association to take an in-depth look at angel investing. We're speaking to angel investors about what do they look for in a business? What do they look for in its founders? How much money do they invest? How is that relationship managed and how do they exit a business? We're going to answer all the questions you've ever wanted to know about angel investing, whether you're looking for funding or even if you're considering becoming an investor yourself. So to understand a bit more about how the relationship works, we thought we would bring in a relationship. Um, This is when Richard meets Ben. It's not our Harry versus Sally episode, Uh, but we wanted to bring uh, these two gentlemen in to talk about their relationship. Um, Richard, the angel investor, welcome. Thank you. And Ben Davies, the founder of Viper. Good morning. Guys, um, we love to start the podcast with finding out a little bit about uh, the people that are here and the guests that we're talking to. Um, So Ben, we're going to start with you. Uh Um, You founded Viper in 2013. Um, Tell us a bit about Viper. What inspired you to start it? What are you hoping to um, achieve? So my my background prior to Viper was as a, I worked as a buyer at Sainsbury's uh, and at the yeah. co-op for a period of time. That was my last kind of grown-up corporate <laughs> corporate job. Um, so I, I was buying a variety of different food categories for Sainsbury's, things like chilled pizza, chilled ready meals, etc. Um, mm. And it, it was there that I began to kind of see the pain point that, that Viper was uh, later set up to address effectively, which is around the, uh, the challenges of new, new product innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Viper is a um, it's a B2B proposition, enterprise software or SaaS as some people call it. Um, and we sit firmly in the consumer goods sector. So that's things like food and drink, as you've heard me say, uh, health and beauty, personal care, all of the things that you could buy at a very large Tesco Extra, all of the retailers that you'd see on Market Street in Manchester. Um, we are using data and technology to try and help businesses in that space get better at product innovation. So that's better in terms of uh, product performance, it's better in terms of the, uh, the the cost of innovation, so the amount of money it takes uh, companies to, to get those products on shelf, and it's, it's quicker in terms of um, the time it takes to uh, to get those products launched. So the way that Viper works is that we uh, we, we have a, a client application, a piece of software that the clients use, and then we have a corresponding uh, community of around 55,000 people who've got the Viper app installed on their smartphones, 
and and the two things uh, talk and what we do is we're trying to get predictive data from those consumers and shoppers in terms of how they might react to the products and the propositions that our business clients are looking at launching and then we use that that data to to better inform their decision making process so they can avoid the failures and they can double down on the uh, the ones that look like successes so essentially listening to the consumers sort of um you know amalgamating a whole bunch of um, fast data in terms of their buying habits is that it? It's, it's all predictive. So it's yeah. all, all of the. Uh, so a client will put some content on there, let's say about a, a new product that they're considering, and then mm-hmm. they'll they'll effectively ask the community, consumer community whether they would buy that proposition at that price with that pack design, that that type of thing. So we're trying to we're trying to simulate purchase intent and simulate the consumer's future behaviour without um, you know kind of too directly and too traditionally asking them effectively and, yeah. and deliver that data back to the client. So save them some pain and trying to develop products that nobody actually wants. Exactly, because the the, the metrics within, say, food and drink are, are really poor. There's about 85% of all new products launched on an annual basis don't last any longer than 12 months. So wow. a very high attrition rate, which is it adds nothing to the consumer. It adds cost to the retailer, it adds cost to the manufacturer, and that, that's effectively what we're trying to fix. Yeah, because the money needs to come from somewhere for that. Yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So you you decided to you'd seen a lot of this failed products happening at the co-op in Sainsbury's and yeah. you felt and was personally responsible for quite a few as yeah. well <laughs> in terms of very very bad very um, subjective decisions. What that do you we mean by that? What do you mean? Well, as in a, you know, either I, I, we as a category team would would have an idea about a new you know new range within ready meals or pizzas yeah. and we'd you know we'd go and you know really enthusiastically go and brief a couple of manufacturers and they'd yeah. come in and start showing products and. You know, many times they'd make quite big investments in terms of kind of changes to the production line, and it was it was on the back of nothing but kind of gut feel experience and what maybe we'd seen working in an American retailer or a Japanese retailer. Yeah. And unfortunately, we, we were no better than the rest of the trade, kind of seven or eight times out of ten that it didn't particularly work, and it certainly didn't work enough to to cover the investments that the manufacturers were making. So yeah. it was it was decisions that we were making that had no real data backing to them. So that's what we're trying to do is to get that kind of forward looking data that teams can use to make better informed decisions. decisions about investment effectively yeah so you started in 2013 you went out on your own um yeah. how did you go from there to even seeking your first uh investment so i started thinking about the business in 2012 and started kind of um socializing it and, and seeding it with a few of my you know kind of uh, trade peers and, and i guess you know, one of my principal bits of advice for any entrepreneur looking to get into B two B would be you. You, I think you have to have a good amount of sector experience, really, because it's that kind of reputation and network that that enabled me to get get Viper going in the first instance. Because mm-hmm. I had conversations with a couple of the supermarket chains that I knew, and and one of them in particular said, "Yeah, effectively, if you build this, we will buy it." And that that's a a very nice proof point to take to the earliest investors that we that we got on board. It doesn't need to be an invoice or anything, but it was yeah. an email from them saying, "Yes, if you if you deliver this this proposition in the next twelve months, we will we will pay a certain amount for it." Yeah. Um, so, y- using that type of trade evidence and reputation, I then took that to some early angel investors. I um, I, I think my strategy at the time was actually to. I, I, I spoke to um, uh, the lawyer who did a load of work for my dad's firm, pharmaceutical firm in Manchester. Mm-hmm. He was linked into a load of high net worth individuals. He had one guy who had made a load of money out of some food and drink businesses. I went and spoke to him, and again, he said, "Yes, in principle, I would get I would get on board 
if you can get, you know, four or five other investors to kind of do yeah. sums of twenty five to fifty, something like that. So it's that that's how it builds. It's 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 iterative. It's never kind of yeah. one one glamorous hit in a hotel room where you get you walk out with a check. It's <laughs> yeah. it's just this yeah. iterative kind of nudging. Yeah, it's constant process. validation. So somebody's yeah. saying, I'll be your customer, I'll put in money if you get someone else to put in money. Yeah. That kind of and then you can take that as your as your validation and your credibility to the next person. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah. What made you choose angels? Over maybe other pathways back back at the beginning, I didn't really see any other option because we we were yeah it's, it's way too early for anything vaguely institutional at mm-hmm. that point because we didn't have any invo- we didn't have any revenue we had mm-hmm. we had nothing but um, an idea and a piece of software that that I'd persuaded an agency to kind of start building uh, for me so um, yeah it, angel investment looked like the only route and I, I did I had had some experience in kind of rain, raising angel funds for previous businesses because the co-op was. I was only semi-joking. It was my last grown-up job, and that was back in 2006. Yeah. So ever since then, I've been involved in startups, either in food and drink or in technology. So I've I've had experience of that that you know kind of early stage angel fund, and it's been you know it's been successful for me in the past. So that was the route that I just yeah. doubled down on. You're a little bit seasoned on it, so little you bit, a little bit, little bit, yeah, experience. Yeah. Um. So um, you then eventually did find Richard, but he wasn't your first. No. Um, you had. <laughs> it's okay, Richard. <laughs> but you're the best. <laughs> um, so you had. It was that kind of uh, that progression. You had. You had grown that. What was your first uh, earlier raise? And um, what was the first um, money that you had raised? First one. First round that we did was 138,000 yeah. in total from about five angels, I think. So I, you know, no, no one putting in anything particularly significant. Kind of individual slugs in between. 15 to, to 50, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all very credible individuals, m- mostly from the food and drink sector, actually. Yeah. Did that matter? Does it matter who the money came from? Or does that help in the future? Does it help? They, they At the time, they were very um, value-add investors because they all had, you know, their own reputations and credibility and, and, and networks. And some of the businesses that they were involved with at the time became, you know, subsequent Viper clients and such things. So... Um, I, I do think it's important. Um, again, I'm talking from the perspective of a B two B startup, but to, to have individuals who can kind of, if nothing more, introduce you to their networks, and yeah. you, you just kind of keep pushing that ripple effect, basically. Yeah. So smart money. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think we we got value from all of our kind of um, angels in the first round or two. Yeah. Beyond the money. Nice. So Richard, let's hear from you. Okay. Um, you're the chair now of of Viper since 2017. Um, I am. But you are a massive advocate for tech businesses in the Northwest. Tell us a bit about your background and what led you to actually start angel investing. Okay, so I would say that I'm a, a bit of a mongrel, really. <laughs> Pure pedigree, darling. <laughs> in in terms of I, um, I, I was an engineer originally, mm-hmm. so I. Uh, I like to know how things work, and I and I like to, you know, to 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 design things so that they work and they're successful. I um, worked uh, overseas for quite a while. Uh, I came back to the UK. I joined EY. I became a chartered accountant. I became a finance director of a public company. I then became a CEO of a public company, which. Um, I grew from uh, a five million market cap to um, more than five five hundred million market cap, and put the foundations in for for the strategy, which has now seen that business grow to more than one point five billion 
valuation. So I got a lot of uh, different experiences. And when I came out of full-time employment, I wanted to really, you know, give something back and help uh, young entrepreneurs to to do well in business and, and give them the benefit of my experience. Also, of course, uh, in the process of doing that, I'm not helping anyone unless those businesses are successful. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wanted to get involved also to to generate wealth and jobs and, you know, for the shareholders in the business and also for, for myself. Yeah. I mean, we could probably do a whole podcast just on your career, but unfortunately we don't have time to get into the nitty gritty <laughs> of it, but it is fascinating. Um, so you, you, you came out of full-time employment. How did you decide that, like, angel investing, was that something you were already dabbling in? How did that evolve from that point to significant investments like you're doing now with Viper? Or was that always part of a strategy from I, the beginning? I'd, no, I had always, but on a very selective uh, basis. So uh, in my final years of uh, full-time employment, I invested in a business called Zuto, mm -hmm. which is a pretty well-known business around uh, and successful business around Manchester and motor finance. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really kind of an extension of that. And I'm now invested in eight businesses, of which Viper is is one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, Viper is one of my bigger investments and and bigger in terms of the amount of time I spend with the business. Yeah. Does the amount of money and the amount of time that you spend kind of complement each other or have you done smaller investments where you've, for whatever reason, you've decided to spend more time within those or what do you do with the smaller ones? Uh, not much with the smaller <laughs> ones. No, there, there yeah. is a... Obviously, there's a there's a kind of like time is is scarce, mm. and I think having that correlation of size of investment and allocation of time works works very well both for the business and me. For you, nice. So, how did you two first meet? How did you you were already haven't you already had angels? Yep. Ben. Um, how did you come to meet Richard and why were you seeking more investment at that point? Where was our first date, Ben? Can you remember? <laughs> um, I do, actually. It was at Reality Mine offices, I think, from, from memory. We we get crashed one of their meeting rooms for, for an right. hour. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, back to the kind of the entrepreneur's piece, it's, it's all about network. So, um, you know, we, we were constantly kind of pushing internal and external networks in terms of um, where kind of future value might lie in terms of mm -hmm. either investors or advisors, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we, we've um, worked with a guy called Richard Young since about 2015, quite early in the business. He's, he's well known in the Manchester PE uh, private equity circles. Um, and he um, sat down with me and said, right, we, we, we need potentially a new, a new chairman to kind of really drive the next, next phase of growth of the business. And, you know, to do that, we need further funds. So uh, we had, we had a list of, um, names um that we, we we drew up in terms of very high caliber you know well-known uh individuals who'd either exited or were exiting businesses mm. at the time because we wanted it to be a relatively kind of um full-on role and yeah sat down with a number of people and, and richard was one of those and then again there was you know it, it, it took a little bit of time it was probably nine to twelve months between kind of first meeting with richard and richard actually committing to, to join the business it's mm. never a kind of a 
this this kind of um, fabulous one hit conversation where you uh, you sell the dream ticket and 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 off you go. It's it's always in kind of an iterative process that you need to keep investing in. Yeah, you yeah. use a, a nice phrase earlier: the courting, the courting yes. period. Yeah, it's not uh, you're not getting married. It's a, a first date when you first meet. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and Richard, so who introduced Viper to you? How did you find out about this opportunity and what piqued your interest to prompt that first date at the Reality Mind? Yeah, it was it was Richard Young that Ben mentioned, who mm-hmm. was a mutual uh, connection. And Richard came to speak to me about the business and Ben and I met. And the kind of things I, I listen for are, um, you know, do, does this guy and his team know what they're talking about? And Mm -hmm. from Ben's description earlier, it's clear that he knew the market. He knew what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was that experience. And then secondly, the pain point. So Ben is describing this uh, problem with uh, development of new products. And, uh, you know, what I was hearing there is that this is a pain point globally of tens of billions of pounds. This is, you know, it's a huge issue Mm -hmm. because the amount of effort that goes into building a new product, marketing it, taking it to market and, and everything, and then withdrawing it if it doesn't work is huge. So there was a huge pain point. And then, um, in terms of the solution, I looked at the solution and uh, thought that with more investment, this can really work mm. uh, and it can solve significant problems for really major businesses, not just in the UK, but globally. Yeah. But that wasn't a decision that you made on that first meeting, though there was nine months of exploration. How does that work when the angel's not actually got skin in the game? How do you... How do you engage? How does that relationship work in that pre-investment period? What can startups expect? What can the angels expect from that? Well, I think uh, I think the um, so from first meeting until when we re-engage, we probably spoke once or okay. something. So, okay. so it wasn't. It was really at that time. You know, I thought sounds like a great business. What I tend to do though is to go away and see if they deliver anything of what they've told me (laughs) in the first meeting, because that's the ultimate... This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. Yeah. So that's the ultimate test. And and I think, uh, you know, of course, it's very difficult in small businesses to, you know, be be very precise about what's going to happen. But what I saw from the first meeting to when I got involved was the direction had been... Mm -hmm in the right direction. Roughly. Yeah. And I I could see two things. One, that this business had the opportunity to be really successful. And, you know, I'm talking hundreds of millions of valuation potentially. So it was one of those special ones. And uh, secondly, I could see where I could help. And... Ben, did you know that's what he was wanting from the first meeting? You know, from that kind of, you said, I'm going to go and do all this. And he went, great. And then you only spoke once and then nine months later. But did you realise or what was going through your mind? 
I've I've probably got in, in just about enough experience with angels to know that it is about expectation management and, mm. and, and going away and, and delivering. Um it is sometimes hard as an enthusiastic entrepreneur not to kind of over overstate your ambition and your lofty goals and <laughs> and and you know it's that it's those kind of sums and figures that stick in the angel's mind not the kind of what you're going to deliver in three months six months nine months from now yeah. um but yeah there, there is a there's a definite skill in the expectation management piece yeah. either internally or externally in terms of what your aims and ambitions are but what you're going to deliver and how you're going to deliver it and, and going off and and doing it you're in a nice sensible yeah way yeah being able to execute yeah um You've made it sound like it's been wholly rosy and kind of very lovely relationship, but has it always been easy? Has it? Has there been any challenges along the way? Do you want to answer that first? Yeah. <laughs> most, <laughs> most, most days. What are you going to say? <laughs> well, I'm going to say this. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the bit on first dates yeah. where they say, do you want to see each other again? Yeah. <laughs> yes or no. Um, yeah, I don't like the way you eat. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, it's very difficult, but we, mm. um, you know, we, we set out to find individuals like Richard who they are extremely ambitious and extremely hard task masters. So if, if it was a very easy relationship, arguably neither party would be pushing, pushing the other. Yeah. And, and Richard is very demanding in terms of execution and, uh, discipline and forecasting and such things. But th- those are the skills that we wanted to bring into the business. So I, I didn't set out thinking this is, this is going to be, rosy and easy and and, and and best of pals it's um it, mm. it's it's a it's a demanding but extremely rewarding relationship and richard's brought a huge amount of value to the business uh, and we are a very different beast to when he arrived two and a half years ago yeah and richard what would you say because i know there was a few challenges when you came in the business was facing some challenges when you joined yeah, yeah. So, so when i came in the, the business was in the process of raising um a, a new amount of money. Um, and that was because the previous amount of money had been spent more quickly than I'd been anticipated. So we had a, a situation where, you know, shareholders were looking for some assurance. Um, and uh, I think, um, so as, as you know, as, as Ben alludes to, uh, you know, you have to be very straight talking in in business. I think you have to be very ambitious about your objectives, but make sure that you describe those in a way that that investors understand exactly what you're going to do. Because this expectations management is a really big thing, uh, and I think. Um, it's been a real pleasure working with Ben because Ben's a, a mature, you know, resilient, uh, you know, um, deals with uh, adversity, um, you know, really, really well and bounces back. And and the business is, is you know, it's um, come on in, in leaps and bounds and that isn't, you know, from anything much I've done other than just bring, you know, disciplines and a, a bit of, you know, kind of wise wise advice, really. Mm. The team have created every, you know, kind of every bit of value that the business has added, and, and that has been substantial. I, I'd, I'd say that the business, in my opinion, 
is worth at least three times what it was mm -hmm. 18 months ago, something like that. It's the Richard Law Midas touch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, it's not at all. It's not at all. No, I mean, we're I, I think, I think, no, but I think the thing is that um, I'm pretty good at picking. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're pretty good at picking, then, you know, m most of it kind of looks after itself. itself. Mm. Great it's market, great team, you know. Yeah, it's the combination of the two it, it coming is. together. Definitely, definitely. And I think for, for, for entrepreneurs, you, you need to be aware of where your your own strengths and weaknesses lie and what the business is, what the business needs at certain phases as well. And um, as you said, the, the, the value and the skills that Richard has brought in are not skills that, that, that I individually had or the business had at the time. So you need to be need to be humble enough to kind of say, right, I'm going to bring people into the business and it's probably going to be quite a tough journey, but they're going to add a way more value than I could I could do individually. That's quite yeah. a difficult thing for an entrepreneur to do because there is... You're relinquishing, aren't you? Yeah, you're... effectively. You're, you're, you know, the sole finder, I kind of started it on my own. My DNA is all over the, the business, but you, you are beginning to bring lots of other people in mm -hmm. who are way more talented and skillful at certain certain things that the business needs to really kind of drive that, that level of growth. Yeah. Um. Now, there's more, so the, the angels, uh, the complement of angels that you have are still in in the business. Yep. In fact, yep. I think from what you were saying, the, like I don't, it's quite a significant amount of angel investment that has been put in. Um, how do you manage that relationship? Because it's not just managing the relationship, Richard, Ben to Richard, it's Ben to Richard and another, I don't know, eight or nine, I don't know how many there is, but... Um, other angels who have a vested interest. How how is that whole thing managed? Well, there are in in Viper. I'm going to say over thirty. Okay. Over thirty angels, and between those thirty angels, we've raised about uh, just over two and a half. Just million, over I two think. and a half. Just under two and a half million, actually. Yeah. So, so a substantial amount of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, and managing the relationship with angels is is all about communication, effectively, but building the relationship and spending time with them. So, I I spend time with with the angels on um, not all of them, but we uh, we have groups of them in so they can see the product and we mm -hmm. we give them a presentation every six months. I do a an update. Mm -hmm. I've uh, just done one last week, actually. So um, so having those open kind of, um, you know, routes of communication and making sure that people know what's happened but also know what's coming yeah. is is really important. If you align that well, then everything should be fine. The good and the bad. The good and the bad, yeah. Yeah, yeah if you... If you if you're an angel investing in a business and you only expect good, <laughs> you're, you know, you're very deluded. So, <laughs> so there is, yeah. There's, it's a roller coaster. There's, there's, there's rough <clears throat> and smooth, but as long as the net direction mm. is positive, it should all be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, share arrangements. I mean, I think this is something we talked about before we started recording, um, you know, why you've taken this path of significant angel investment. Um, can we talk about how that works? You know, how does the cap table work with so many 
names in the hat and how does that put you in a position of strength going forward for your next um, raise? I don't know who wants to to take that. Um, yeah, we do have a lot of angel investors. It's, there's a relatively long tail. The, the 80-20 rule probably applies to us as it does to most businesses. I mean, we, we have look, we did look at debt at various points, but the, mm. the, the challenge about debt of any kind of... Um, I guess technology business that's that's trying to craft a new a new category a new definition of doing things is that level of uncertainty is mm-hmm. it doesn't sit well with with debt providers where there would there would be covenants in place and if you mi- yeah. if you miss your your revenue <laughs> we can't pay you for five years yeah, no yeah, exactly <laughs> that, that, that type of thing so it, so it doesn't it doesn't really work so hence why um, <clears throat> equity's really been the only option to us over the past mm-hmm. four or five years I think arguably that will change in the future but um, yeah equity's the um, the the, the only route and we have raised a reasonable amount of it as a result and as a result our cap table is quite it's quite lengthy mm-hmm. basically yeah I think um, what, what what happens when you uh, the, the aim of um, the person who starts the business who starts with 100% but no money so that's yeah. a problem <laughs> 100% of nothing is nothing yeah. so you need to to get to a position where you've got a sustainable scalable business uh, whilst so making sure you have enough money to do that whilst trying to minimise the dilution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for, for for pretty big plays like Viper, they do need um, uh, do need money. So Ben um, has, uh, you know, before I came along, Ben had already, already diluted to bring in mm-hmm. these people along the way. The thing, the thing that I find is kind of um, is a great shame is that sometimes the entrepreneur who set up a business ends up with, you know, almost no equity, and his equity is ranking kind of six six in the queue behind mm. people who came in later, and you know, arguably brought principally brought money along, um, and so. Um, so effectively, what 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 we've tried to do with um, with the with the business, what I've tried to do with the business since uh, since I came along, uh, is um, you know to focus on getting to a position where the business was clearly demonstrating strong growth, clearly demonstrating strong cash flow, could be considered by um, high quality institutional investors, uh, and that we could put a deal in place for a Series A funding which doesn't decimate existing shareholders mm-hmm. uh, and that those existing shareholders can, of course, they need to take dilution, but they don't take on some of the kind of, you know, some of the terms, very onerous terms that you do sometimes see in, the, um, you know, in the in the venture capital industry. Um and, and I think um, you know we, we're we're in a good position. We're as far as this year's results are concerned, Ben. We're we're now in month twelve of yep, this year, day one of month twelve. Yeah. Yep. And and how are we doing against the? We are bang on bang on track. Arguably, even a little bit over in terms of uh, performance versus forecast, which makes all of these things in terms of expectation management so much much uh, so much easier, easier. to uh, to handle. Yeah. Yeah. So I I sent out my communication to shareholders. I think on Thursday or Friday. But mm-hmm. you know uh, we've had feedback from um, from quite a lot of 
angel investor shareholders already congratulating the team and you know mm-hmm. and they're they're yeah, happy and and supportive so so i think um yeah i think it's working well i would ben. absolutely concur yeah what are some of the onerous you mentioned there about owners share terms what would some of those things be that you know you would encourage or try to help um businesses avoid if they can for those reasons so that they come out with something like i think there couldn't be anything sadder than somebody starting a business scaling it coming out the other end with nothing to show for it like that defeats the entire purpose of yes yeah so um I mean, just just to be just to be to just to be clear, I'm not I'm not trying to paint the um, you know the venture capital industry as a kind of um, you know a shark tank, um, but <laughs> no, because it's really important money. It's it's really important money, but but just as in you know when we take on you know personal um, uh, debt or or or, or whatever. If you're a good credit risk, you get good terms. If you're not a good credit risk, you don't get good terms. <laughs> yeah. And and it's exactly the same in business. So if a business is desperate for money, hasn't done what it said it was going to do, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then a, um, a funder will want to de-risk uh, the position because that funder is only representing, you know, pension funds or mm-hmm. other investors um and and so it's a commercial it's a commercial balance so what what i would say is um you know if, if the business is high risk then the funder would want to you know have a preference shares so they stand first in line for any money coming out of the business whether that's in a sale or a liquidation okay so if i have a share and you have a share yeah. Um, and you've got a preferential share, Richard. Yeah. As soon as Ben sells anything, you get? I get the first money. And I don't get anything? Only if um, it goes over a certain level. Okay. So there is there is something called a waterfall. It's, it's a very good kind of uh, descriptor because when new funders come in, they would generally say, right, I'm bringing new funding in, I want to sit in front mm-hmm. of the queue and they would get uh let's for example say one times their money back before anyone else gets anything else but mm-hmm. in higher risk situations you know the funder may get more than one times their money back and then instead of the money then flowing down to other shareholders it's then shared after that that that's called a participating preference okay position so there are um, just as in personal finance, there there are, there are many different types of structure, and and generally you will find that uh, good quality businesses uh, will get much better terms than ones that are that are struggling. Mm-hmm. So you know, so planning and um, uh, and always making sure that the business isn't exposed to um, situations of weakness is is important. Mm. So it sounds like it's definitely more than just the money, this relationship. Um, ben, what kind of benefits have there been to having angel investors, Richard and the whole consortium of angels that you've had? 
Um, Many benefits. So they would need categorising in, in terms of the different stages of the business, though, because mm. what what Richard does now is 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 would not be a set of skills that we needed in two thousand and fourteen or two thousand and fifteen. They're very much applicable to to this re- real very kind nice. of this this growth phase. And, and I, we're not. I don't think we're still a startup. Probably we're now yes scale up that that, that type of thing. Um, so that you know the 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 benefits from the the early round of investors was was all about network and opportunities and just uh, whether it be co- customer opportunities for us as a uh, an enterprise software application or whether it be further investment opportunities it's all about that that relevance of that network and that was applicable for the first two or three rounds now it's very much about getting people in who've scaled businesses with a similar model similar ethos to us which is exactly what Richard has done previously with GBG and and en- enabling us to go at that pace for the next three to five years effectively so mm-hmm. yeah lo- lots of value but very differently applicable at different stages so recognizing that at each stage yeah. and then finding the skills to bring Absolutely. them in yeah and richard what do you enjoy about being an angel investor what what is it that you enjoy the most out of the work that you do now with the different all the different companies the eight investments well i i enjoy kind of Visioning forward the the potential of the business, and then and then working with the team to put together a plan that delivers that. Um, and then as the business grows, kind of everything that goes with that. So, you know, seeing a team of people who have worked really hard when, you know, in the early in the early stages when it's, everything is really hard work, to then, you know becoming very um you know very very successful and and getting a huge amount of of personal enjoyment and uh and also you know making money out of it i enjoy um seeing seeing businesses create new 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 jobs and and wealth mm-hmm. so i get i get an awful um lot lot from from doing it and uh and it gives me a reason to you know kind of get up in the morning <laughs> as well and uh no it's really it's really really great fun i i would recommend it to um you know to anyone who thinks they may want to to give it a go um because it is it's tremendously fulfilling and look who knows i mean i think this particular business, um, which provides software um, to um, huge organisations, you know, some of the, I'm not sure whether we can mention any of them, Ben, but real household names um, uh, and, you know, and and, and global brands mm-hmm. too. Um and the business is in a position now where it's it's cash generative, it's on a strong growth path. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's brilliant. And really, it's only at the start. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, a really good example, actually, of yeah. It's funny, of like, that. making money was the second to last thing that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, but I think that's a really interesting thing in terms of expectation. You're talking about expectation management. You know, yeah. the, all the other value, things that you place a higher value on than actually the money. Make, obviously, making money is important. That's part of your creating that wealth, creating jobs, which means, you know, 
does mean making money. Um, yeah. But it's those things that it creates are more important. Definitely. I'm a terrible spender. I can't, <laughs> I can't spend money. Having money is just so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to me. I'll take it. <laughs> so what is, uh, what's Viper working on right now? What's the, any cool stuff coming up? What are you working on? Lots, lots of cool stuff. Always lots of cool stuff. Um, yeah, all about scaling the business for uh, next phase of mm-hmm. growth. So, um, yeah, looking to open up international um, territories. So not necessarily kind of launching internationally, but opening up those community, sorry, those consumer and shopper communities in, in mm-hmm. certain European territories this year. Yeah. And so gathering the data from the yeah, consumers. which makes us yeah. very much more relevant to the the, the really top tier of big um, consumer goods companies like the Unilevers of this world, etc., who are truly mm-hmm. kind of uh, Global, so um, yeah, a, hu- a huge amount of um, uh, you know, planning going on internally at the moment, but all, all about how we scale and therefore and structure the business to to uh, deliver those uh, those growth ambitions. You know, kind of doubling revenue every year, etc. So yeah, yeah, nice. Ben's been very modest there actually, because these businesses <laughs> came to him and said, yeah. "We love what you're doing for can us you in the UK. Can, so can you internationalize? Can you internationalize? And by the way, we'll help you fund it, kind of thing. You know, so." Yep. So it's... Um... How could you not say? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you think we're awesome. You want us to do more. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the plan for the future? Yes. The near near future is get yeah. out into the new markets. Any particular ones? First focus? Uh, probably France and Germany, two of the biggest European mm-hmm. territories. So yeah, with the UK, France and Germany, we'll have you know, a genuine kind of European footprint and then add on individual not necessarily every mm-hmm. single country, but kind of clusters of countries in, in Europe and, yeah. and, and and push on from there. Yeah. Why not an English? I'm just asking a dumb question here probably, but, you know, all of your platforms in English. So going to France and Germany means two new entirely new languages. Why yeah. sort of that instead of like America or? I mean, America would be, it will, will be a huge part of our expansion plans at some point, yeah. but that does need a serious amount of capital and thought and planning. And I don't think it's, we're not quite there yet. I think another yeah. eighteen months, something like that. Um, yeah. These European territories, they're more handleable based on the, the 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 team and the resource base that we've got in place yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And and the the um, customers that wanted us to to, to go international wanted mm. wanted they France. Want they want France yeah. and Germany. So, you know, I mean, the, the US is is huge and and you know has. Quite a lot of bad press for young businesses about mm. you know it's a graveyard for young businesses. I think I think that's twaddle personally because you know if you do it right then you, and plan properly you're going to be fine. Mm. And uh, I think the the market in the US will be absolutely huge. Massive. But the chronology yeah. is we cut our teeth working with people that we already work with in the UK, overseas. Sure, we do we do the learning so that we're all. Um, Ready to go. Yeah. Um, you're not learning when you get to America. You know what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Ben's right. 18 months, yeah. two years, that kind of horizon. Will I you think. come back and see us? Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course. As yeah. unicorns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Um, we always finish the podcast with some hands-on advice that entrepreneurs or um prospective angels in this case um, might be able to take away and implement today this couple of pieces of advice like things what are the first things they should be going to start doing to manage or find and begin that angel journey 
Um, what would you both have to say about that? So from the entrepreneurial front and thinking back more to Canada 2013, 2014, it's, it's all about network, networking, as many events as possible, but not just in a scattergun approach, be hyper-targeted. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned before we, we uh, started recording, I, I kind of used the term hunting people. So you come up with a hit list <laughs> yeah. of... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which terrified Richard, <laughs> terrified Richard yeah. um, but you come up with a list of, in, of individuals yeah. that you think yeah that 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 person could add a huge amount of value not yeah. just not just um investment and you, you basically you go after them and figure out where you know how to get in front of them and how to build a very credible uh story when you do get that opportunity because mm-hmm. you will only get what, one opportunity yeah. for that, that kind of first pitch because yeah. they're going to want to know why why me sure aren't yeah. they yeah yeah, and yeah, absolutely. You you need to. Why are you, you need asking to, me? Oh, it's not you're just the fiftieth person I've asked. Oh, right, great. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to paint the elevator pitch for the for the business and your vision, but then mm-hmm. you need to you need to say why why you know this individual that you're pitching to can add a huge amount of value and become mm. part of the journey, so it all becomes collaborative. Yeah, yeah. So so I'll do the angels bit. There, I I invest in two in two ways um, in uh, in businesses. I'm. Um, a member of a, an angel organization which mm-hmm. invests in uh, multiple businesses uh, and it's it's possible for people to join that those kinds of networks the one i work with is dowsco if you watts dsw angels uh, and there's a guy there called david smith i'm sure that people could find him uh, online and um Broadly, what happens there is that is that they find uh, the you know, businesses to invest in. They do the due diligence, and then um, a panel of investors makes a decision whether to recommend it to the network. And that's a that's a kind of like a well, look, I'm saying relatively low risk. Angel investing always has its risks, but it's a relatively low risk and tax efficient way to get involved. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as a first start point, if you don't have a lot of time. But if you want to get involved with the individual businesses and kind of have the kind of relationship that I've been Ben and I've been speaking about in this particular um, scenario, then you need to spend quite a lot of time looking a- around and understanding uh, a, a bit the the businesses that may be looking for angel funding mm. and go to seminars and all that kind of stuff, uh, and then. Likewise, as Ben talked about targeting, find a sector and a business that you're really going to be able to bring some value to um, and you're prepared to commit some money to mm. and then start this courtship. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, when the courtship has got to the, to, the, to the point where you're ready to make a commitment, then, you know, that, that's the time to, to invest and get involved. But it's great fun. I can really recommend it. Well, we smile when you say it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing your your story and your journey with us, and um, helping people understand a little bit more about the kind of the nuances um, that lie um, um, in that journey to find and build a relationship with with the angels. Um, and we hope that has given the listeners who may be stressing about those issues a uh, better night's sleep. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. Trish. Thank, Thank you. you. Trish.